Rita, in your book, Seeing Around Corners, you talk about seeing inflection points before they happen and then how to harness these disruptive influences to give your company that strategic advantage. Can you share a bit more about how can leaders spot these inflection points and how then they can take that to use that towards their own competitive advantage? Absolutely. So one of the observations I make in the book, it comes from Andy Grove, who originally wrote about strategic inflection points way back when, but he said, you know, snow melts, but it melts from the edges. And so a cardinal rule here is getting out to the edges where those changes are happening so that you see them with your own eyes. And in the book, I detail some very practical things you can do. So the first thing is how do you personally get exposed to what's really going on? So a great example of this is the CEO, well, former CEO now of a company called Klockner, which is a German metal services distributor. I mean, you could not imagine a more commodity like, you know, kind of dull business. And he resolved that they were going to go digital. And what he was worried about was that his message would get diluted, you know, as it moved throughout the organization. So what he set up was, he called it non-hierarchical communication. It was an instance of Yammer, the Microsoft chat product. And he gave Yammer access to everybody in the company. So from the loading dock people all the way up. And he took, he sent out a corporate-wide communication says, I'm going to be on this. If there's something you see, there's something that you've run across that you think I should know about it. I want to hear about it. And please take that as a request. I, mean, I, I don't worry about sending me something that's uncomfortable. I really want to know about it. And I'm told he spent the next month or so, two hours a day, doing nothing but you know, populating the Yammer threads. And I'm told he instructed his IT people that the sort of hierarchically lower in the organization was, a person was, uh, that would go to the top of his feet. So he would pay attention first to the things that were coming in you know, from the edges. And so that's an example of personally exposing yourself to what's going on, making that channel available. The second one is diverse teams have diverse perspectives weighing in on things. And I'll tell a story about how this went disastrously wrong. I was talking to a team at a pitch day, this, this was years ago, and the team was building this thing called Link NYC. And the idea was you're going to take all the payphones out of the sidewalks of the city of New York and replace them with these cool internet kiosks, right? Unlimited internet access, going to be able to charge your phone. And I remember asking the group, so what are people going to do with these kiosks? And, oh, it's going to be awesome. They're going to find out where the artisanal cheese shop is, what hours the farmer's market is open. You know, in other words, it's going to be a stop, a quick query that, that people living on the streets of the city of New York would use these kiosks the same way that this project team would use it. And the whole project team is identical, right? Ivy League schools, either engineers or MBAs, all from you know well-to-do households and then right. So they roll these things out across the city of New York, and within 48 hours, you know, you have homeless people setting up like living rooms around them and watching YouTube all day long. You got guys like rocking out to the, <laughs> to the music plugged into the internet. You've got people watching porn in tourist areas. I mean, it was just a disaster. And my perspective on this is had somebody been on that design team who actually had a sense for what goes on the streets of the city of New York, they never would have designed it the way they designed it. So as it turned out, they had to reduce the internet capability. They had to de-feature a lot of what was going on. And the thing is still kind of limping along, but it, I would submit that had they had that more diverse perspective, the design would have been much more successful. So tips like that, how do you get out to the edges and really see what's going on? 
Uh, and anything else uh, yep. to add on to that? I think th this is the looking around the edges, right? Looking around the corners. That's absolutely, as you said, it's not a new concept, but the way you've described it with the examples in your book, it really brings it to life. Yeah, and I'm smiling because actually we pitched for that that exact project, Rita. If we had won it, I, I guarantee you we would have done a better job on that. It's the one that I felt always got away from us, but for whatever reason, they, they went with that, that other group. So yeah, a couple of things. I mean, I think one, when we obviously in the, the business of innovation, you're always looking to see around the corner. You're always looking to spot those inflection points. You know, when we go research any particular topic, we'll of course speak with the consumers of that 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 industry or that uh, area of uh, area we're, we're looking into, but we'll also look, talk to what we call deeps and weirds. So deeps being people who are sort of very sort of heavily immersed in that and have a very sort of, let's call it advanced experience of that product or service. And then weirds being others in completely different categories or industries that have an analogous experience that maybe we can learn from. So, you know, when we, for example, researching and innovating a new uh, way to get more Hispanic consumers to enjoy a certain service. It was, a, in this case, it was a theme park. We spoke to a lot of Hispanic families. But in terms of deeps, we spoke to a lot of Hispanic community leaders. We spoke to Hispanic journalists. We spoke to some Hispanic academics who, you know, had sort of the broader perspective. And then in terms of weirds, you know, in, in this case, it was about getting a, a certain segment of a Hispanic population to sort of book a trip and to go to this amusement park. And actually, we got our biggest insider unlocks from a Hispanic car salesman who sort of helped us understand how you could sort of help seal a deal. In this case, it was about getting a whole family together in a car and getting them to experience the joy of being in a car together. And that actually was a big unlock for us and helped us see around the corner around how we can sort of leverage that for, for this particular challenge with theme parks and helped us uh, work through that with the consumers and, um, and get to success. So, so I think that's one. I think the other thing we will do a lot that just gives you more of the macro perspective is literally mesh perspectives from different worlds. So I'll always look at the world of the consumer, but also looking, of course, at the client category, and then also looking at the broader culture. And if you can sort of get enough clues together from each of those buckets and mesh them, I think you pretty quickly start to tell stories or see around corners or see pictures emerging that you wouldn't see if you were too narrowly solid in any one of those buckets. So practically, that means we will literally wallpaper a room with lots of what we call clues from all of those areas and we will look to just, we will look to uh, take more of a lateral perspective to understanding them, meshing disparate clues and ideas together and seeing what that will mean. Because rarely do these indicators show up as a headline. Rarely do they sort of form and are, are merging on their own. They're always sort of pieced together from a few different clues that requires you to do a bit of that work to, to see them for yourself. Love, love that example. And, uh, you know, what you talked about, Rita, what you talked about, I see a common theme in this. And that common thread is about human behavior, human connection. We started our conversation on how the pandemic has actually changed your world, Rita, and how even though we are physically not together, it has actually brought about, brought you closer to, and, uh, to your audience in terms of that human touch and human connectivity. So the question here is, how is it that our business leaders are adapting and are able to relate better from a human standpoint to their teams? What is, what is it that they should be doing in order to connect even more to them? And Enda, this is your life. This is your world. This is what the What If team does such a phenomenal job of. So I'd love to hear from Rita first and then Enda, anything else that you'd like to add on that? Well, I think the first 
step in developing empathy with your team, which is really what we're talking about, is, is literally experiencing what they experience. And one of the risks I see for senior leaders is that they get wrapped in this bubble wrap, you know, of people who always agree with them. And they're, I mean, I have a friend who recently became a CEO. I said, so what was it like? He said, oh, it's fantastic. You know, my jokes are funnier. My wisdom is unparalleled. And I think I'm even taller. <laughs> you know? And so back to this notion of psychologically safe spaces, you really need to uh, do some experiencing of what people are going through. And I see this playing out very much in the back to office conversation. You know, it turns out the more senior you are, the more hungry you are to get back to the office because if you're a senior leader, right? The office is a fantastic place. You have a comfy place. You've probably not got too onerous a commute. You've got all these people at your beck and call. You can look out and you know, survey your minions. Um, and it's a great place to be. If you're kind of got headphones on because you're desperately trying to get some work done in, you know, an overcrowded cubicle farm, the office is not such a great place. And so I think we don't take enough time to really appreciate the different experiences that we have. So I think that's one that I would really recommend. Try to develop more empathy for what people are going through and ask, you know, ask questions, uh, not to be nosy, but just sort of, how are you guys today? You know, are things going all right at home? You know, and the answers are going to be very different depending on what people are grappling with. So I think that's one. I think the second thing is try to include feedback loops. You know, so last week we tried to do this. This is where I think it happened, you know, can we shed any more local color on that or something? So really making it clear you're available for the conversation. I think that's a really important aspect of this. And then it, we sometimes have to work a little harder. So let's take the diversity agenda. Right? Yeah, it's hard, harder to find talent that's not easily accessible within your network. Yes, it's harder to talk to people who come from a different background and you may not instantly understand what they're trying to communicate. Yes, it requires more effort. Guess what? That's worth doing. I, I agree, Rita. And I think one of the things you mentioned at the, the beginning there, Shivani, was uh, how, you know, that line about a crisis being a, a, a terrible thing to waste. And I think, you know, if we talk about empathy and we talk about shared experience, all of us have just gone through the greatest experience that most of us will ever experience as a shared experience in our lives. And I think there's the potential for a massive, a much deeper level of understanding and empathy as a result, both between leaders and their teams, between, between leaders and teams and their clients. So, you know, at the beginning of this, we've all suddenly saw each other in our sitting rooms, in our kitchens, with the kid, with the dog, you know, yes, with the builder you know. behind <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're not in the fancy clothes and we may even be in our pajamas if you if the phone goes far enough down. So, you know, that has has created a sort of a new level of interaction, a new sort of uh, relationship, I would say, and a new understanding that's leveled set a lot of teams, a lot of client and outsider relationships that I would say would be a horrible thing, horrible, horrible thing to waste if we sort of were revert to revert back to going into that office and surveying the minions. And so I think we need to think about how we can sort of bring that forward with us now and bring the best of that, because really, um, what is that but a human to human interaction and level of understanding that's going to that's going to be for the better. Rita would love for you to complete the sentence. A year from now, the businesses that will have thrived are those that are doing a lot of experimentation and hypothesis testing. And what about you? A year from now, the businesses that will have thrived are those that? I guess are those that will have appreciated the this experience and the learning that it's brought with them and that they'll have taken it forward. And like I said, will not have gone back to the world the way it was before. 
That's fantastic. Love, love both of those. And from my end, I think it would be the businesses and those leaders that have learned to have empathy be a, a regular skill in everything that they do, right? Empathy for their teams, empathy for their clients, for the world at large, right? I'm thinking of wrapping up here. I, I, is there any other questions, any other topics that we've missed out? Any other questions that you'd like to ask, Enda? No, I, I would just, I just thank you for this ex experience and thank you, Rita, in particular for, for, for coming along and sort of sharing, sharing your wisdom. And I think, you know, if anyone has any questions they'd like to reach out to me directly on, on LinkedIn or, or through Accenture, I might be happy to sort of engage further in a conversation on any of these topics. Great. Rita, anything else that you think, uh, any key points that, uh, or questions that we may have missed that you'd like to cover? One thing people often ask me is, well, where do I start? You know, how do I, like, this yeah. is all brave new world to me, how do I even begin? And my answer is use your own agenda. And I mean that incredibly literally. So very often before going to meet with a prospective client or someone like that, I'll say, send along you know, your agenda. And so let's say the problem they've articulated is we don't know how to innovate or innovations aren't getting out the door fast enough. And I'll literally take their agenda from when important people got together to talk about important stuff and I'll go down it and I'll see where innovation pops up. Mm. Item one, two, or three, good, you're paying attention. Item 18, you know, right next to material safety data sheet update. I mean, people are not stupid. If it's not on your agenda as the leader, it's not going to be on anybody else's. And so I think begin by really thinking through what is going to be item one, two, three on your agenda. Much lower than that, it's not going to get the attention it deserves. And that comes at a cost. That requires making trade-offs. Um, and so prioritizing and really making sure you're consistently pursuing whatever those one, two, three things are. And it might be something like health and wellness. It might be something like innovation. It might be something like discovering new business models. But whatever it is, if it's not in that full position on your agenda, it's not going to be for anybody else either. So Rita, to quote you, right, changes happen gradually, then suddenly, and business people just need to learn to anticipate them well ahead of time. Well, the pandemic has definitely uh, been a great learning experience to put that into practice. It has taught us, you know, and actually made us look in a different light on how we are working, how value is being created, how it's being destroyed. And the question that we tried to tackle today to answer was, what can leaders do differently to lead their teams towards growth in uncertain times? Great discussion. I want to leave our listeners with uh, a summary of a few of the points that we talked about, right? For starters, Rita, you said that leaders can learn to absorb uncertainty. Have the courage to be wrong. You may not have all the answers, but give people permission to be wrong, right? The second piece was connect to having a clear plan. Make your assumptions clear. And you talked about having an adaptive strategy, uh, also looking for multiple futures. So start with the plan, but plan such that you could have multiple futures. So you have that optionality. Rita, you talked about creating a psychological safe space. Uh, for your team in order to discuss the big hairy problems, develop more of that empathy, bring in the feedback loops. And uh, I loved your topic on discipline chaos, identifying not just the profit pools and the value pools, but also the problem pools. And then uh, Rita, using your discovery-driven growth approach, you can actually start to then 
identify how can you convert those assumptions to knowledge and then reskill and retool on innovation skills and transformation skills. And last but not the least, mark the small wins, recognize the small progress as you go along because that is needed in order to motivate your teams and create that uh, level of excitement as you move towards growth in these uncertain times. Thank you, Rita. Thank you.